You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And so as we shift gears now, we dive into, once again, the Gospel of Matthew. And really, we're going to pick right up where we left off last week. One of the things we looked at last week from the passage prior to the one today is that all of us who have stepped over from death to life, all of us, all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior have a deliverance story. He has delivered us from a life of brokenness and sinfulness and selfishness, and he delivers us to a life of hope and joy and peace and perspective and life in this life and life in the life to come. So what is your deliverance story? Do you remember we wrestled with that last week? But we also asked for the opportunity to tell that deliverance story. So did you? This last week, did you have the opportunity to tell someone about who Jesus is, what he means to you, how he's changed your life? And maybe you haven't had that opportunity yet. And once again, my encouragement to you is to pray for and look for and then act on that opportunity when it comes to you. Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is within you. But to do this with gentleness and respect. So as you think about that, as you think about following Jesus, as you think about someone who needs to know the Lord, who is the last person you would ever expect to do that? Well, for me, it was my dad. And not long after hearing a sermon very similar to this one, I chose to share my story with my dad. But again, the manner in which I did it wasn't gentle and it wasn't respectful. My dad had made it really clear that this wasn't an open subject, that he wanted to talk about it on his timing and his terms, but I forced the issue and we had this very strained conversation and, and after that, in the years that were to come that followed that, I thought, gosh, my dad is the last person who I would ever expect to choose to follow Jesus. And as so many of you know the story as I've been sharing it these last several months, it was this month at about this time last year when my dad affirmed his, his desire to follow the Lord Jesus one week before he passed away. And prior to that, I would have told you that the last person I would ever expect to follow Jesus was my dad. So once again, who is the last person in your life who you would ever expect to follow Jesus? And if you have someone like that in your life, then this passage is for you. Because this passage is about the calling of Matthew, the very author of this gospel that we're going through together. And in that day and age, in that culture, with the people he was surrounded by, with the disciples in particular, he's probably the last person any one of them would have ever expected to follow Jesus. So if you need hope, if you need inspiration, if you need encouragement this morning, this passage is for you and we're gonna dive into it together. So this is Matthew chapter nine. This is verses nine through 13. And we'll put it up on the screen there for you and I'll walk us through it. So as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And this is a quote out of the Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's begin to work our way back through this passage. You know, every so often, I, um, I uh, listen to sports radio. And as I'm listening to that, there's this commercial that comes on quite often. And this ominous voice comes on and says, hey, if you're behind on your taxes, if you have years of unpaid taxes and you're ready to do something about it, then we're here to help you because the IRS can come in and they can take your house and take your home and garnish your wages and it's all about fear. And by the end of this commercial, you're thinking, who is him? Where, who is this guy? Where is he? You wanna shake your fist at the man and it's the last person you wanna be with, hang around with or have anything to do with, right? It's that nameless, faceless IRS man. But in this story, and in that culture, that name had a face, and it was Matthew. You see, Matthew was a tax collector by trade. And oftentimes, at least in that area of the Galilee, and that part of the, the Middle East, they were, they were hired Jews. They were Jewish people who worked for the hated Roman government. And so they levied taxes and collected those taxes. And there are a number of scholars who believe that Matthew was the type of tax collector custom official who collected money for bridges or canals or even commodities like fish or whatever. But the point was, he was the tax man. But things actually go a little further with that. Because you see, the way these tax collectors made their own living wasn't necessarily by the, the pitiful amount of money that was given to them by Rome. It was by extorting their fellow countrymen. So if they did not like you, if they had a vendetta against you, or even if they didn't, they could extort as much money from you as they wanted, and then they would skim that off the top. That was their money. So they were reviled. They were hated by the Jewish people. They were considered traitors to the Romans. And now enter Matthew into this story. Could it be that Matthew had extorted the disciples themselves because many of them lived and grew up in the area of the Galilee and that's where his tax collecting booth was. So it's very possible that he could have extorted the very disciples of Jesus who now see him follow Jesus. And it's just a remarkable thing to think about. And it was shocking to everyone, probably shocking to the disciples, but shocking to the religious folk as well and the religious leaders because he's the last person you would ever expect to follow Jesus. But there's a reality here for us to own and embrace. And it's an incredibly hopeful one and an inspiring one. And it's this, that it is possible for anyone and everyone to follow Jesus. Do you believe that? I hope you do, because this story underscores that. 
So once again, let's come back to this for me and you. Who is the last person you would ever expect to follow Jesus in your life? A family member? A child? A grandchild? A friend? Extended family? A neighbor? A coworker? You, you fill in the blank. But like I mentioned in my Facebook sermon post, for those of you who watched that earlier this week, this is an incredibly powerful truth. And one we need to remember, that anyone can choose to follow Jesus, even the least likely person we would ever consider to do so. And it's very important that we understand what what happened here. When it says that Matthew followed Jesus, it means he followed Jesus. It means he literally walked away from his occupation. He could no longer be a tax collector. He just gave up his means of financial security, his means of financial support. He walks away from his job in order to follow Jesus. And I think there's something here for you and me. Would you be willing to do that? How far would you be willing to go? How far are you willing to go? to follow Jesus. Would you walk away from a job? Would you walk away from security? From financial stability? If that's what it meant to follow Jesus? Because that's exactly what Matthew does in this story. So where is that line for you? How far are you willing to go in order to follow Jesus? You know, recently, as we were starting up our small group, we went around the room and we're all just still getting to know each other. This is a brand new group that Jamie and I have gotten to be a part of um, with some friends of ours and with some collegiate young adults and young marrieds. And anyway, as we're going around the room together, we're all sharing our Jesus stories. And as I was listening and just celebrating what God had done in each of our lives, I was struck by the realization that for every single one of us, in some way, shape, or form, it cost us to follow Jesus. And that is a reality that we have to do business with. It cost Matthew to follow Jesus. And if you choose to follow Jesus, ultimately, somehow in some way, it will cost you. And this isn't a new truth or a new reality for us. Gary Brashears, three weeks ago, took us through Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, where you have this, this religious leader who comes to Jesus and says, oh, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus, you know, says that really crazy, enigmatic saying, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then this other guy comes and says, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I gotta go back and bury my, my dad. And his dad wasn't actually dying. He wouldn't have been there saying that. But the point was, Jesus looks at him and says, let the dead bury their own dead. You know, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritual dead. You come and follow me now. When Jesus asks us to follow him, the timing is always now. But there's a cost to that. And it is something that we we need to do business with. But my friends, it's totally worth it. Whatever the cost is to follow Jesus, it's totally worth it. Do you believe that? I sure hope you do. 
Because when someone chooses to follow Jesus, there's a celebration that should take place. That should be celebrated. When we see the work of God in someone's life, we should celebrate that. As Pastor Jerry mentioned earlier, as we were walking through highlights together, baptism is a celebration. That's what we do around here, is when someone chooses to follow Jesus, we dunk them in water, in part to celebrate that that emphasizes that their life has changed. And baptisms around here are a celebration. We applaud, we get excited. It's something that we celebrate and we should. We should celebrate the work of God in someone's life. Many years ago, my wife Jamie and I decided that we would make a tradition come to life in our family. And that was, we would not only celebrate birthdays, which most of us do, right, in our families, but we would celebrate Jesus' birthdays. And so someday, if our kids chose to follow Jesus at some point in their spiritual journey, we would always remember that day every year with them. We would have a celebration to celebrate their Jesus' birthday. And thankfully, all three of our kids at some point in their spiritual journey chose to follow Jesus and they all happened to be really young when they did so. So for years and years, we've celebrated Jesus' birthdays just like we would a a birthday. But we've done that purposefully to celebrate and remember what God has done. So how do you celebrate and remember what God has done? It's kind of a lost art but it is so profoundly important. And we very deliberately celebrate what God has done in our family. We're constantly reminding each other of, hey, we prayed for that and look how God answered. We, we journal and capture the things that God has done because we tend to forget over time. And those things should be remembered and should be celebrated. And I'm so excited for those of you who haven't, get bab- haven't gotten baptized, by the way, our next baptism is gonna be on Easter this year. So if you wanna get baptized, if you wanna celebrate that you have chosen to follow Jesus, we hope that you'll get baptized on Easter. And I'm so looking forward to that. But let's move on in our passage. There is this celebration that takes place because Matthew has chosen to follow Jesus with all that that means. And there's this celebration. And the Pharisees ask his disciples, you know, what in the world is going on here? And actually, they're not really asking, they're protesting. They're complaining. There is a vibe behind this question, and it is a critical one. They're basically saying, how in the world can Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners And when you enter the story and think about it, as we're trying to do here this morning, it kind of makes sense. It's a legit question. Because who do you think showed up to a party that Matthew would throw? Well, we know by this very passage, there were other tax collectors there, and they were despised and reviled by everybody. But who else was there? Could it be that there were thieves and con men and prostitutes and just everybody who that culture would have said, these are the wrong people to be spending time with. These are the wrong people you should be around at all. And yet there's a very important reality that's going on here. In the ancient Near East, if you ate a meal with someone, that was more than just eating a meal with someone. That was a statement about relationship. 
It demonstrated loyal. It communicated loyalty. It communicated trust. It said that you were in relationship with that person and you were identifying with that person. That's why we see in the Old Testament when there are so many agreements and covenants that are entered into and made that you see a meal take place right afterwards because it was a way of saying, hey, I'm in this. We're committed to each other. We're in relationship. I approve of you. You're, You're part of my community now. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew this. They knew this reality. And so it was not lost on them the significance that now there's not only a party happening, but it's happening over a meal with Jesus and the disciples. There's a tremendous amount that's being communicated in this action. And in some ways, meals are just as important to us. When we gather at Thanksgiving, when we gather at Christmas, when we get together for New Year's, when we get together for Super Bowl that's coming, what, what happens with those things? Typically, it's around food. Because even we understand in our culture today, there is a community, there is a connection that takes place around food. And it was a big deal in this day and age for Jesus and the disciples to be throwing this party and eating with these tax collectors and sinners. All the wrong people in that culture were at this party. And this is where the Pharisees, the religious leaders, missed this reality. We are called to separate from sin, but not sinners, because we all start out in the same place. We're all sinners. And there's this stark response difference between how Jesus responds to sinners and how the Pharisees or religious leaders respond to sinners. Jesus wants to help them recover from that, step away from that, cross over from brokenness and selfishness and death and to experience life. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they just want to quarantine sinners. You know, don't get near them, which begs the question of you and me. Are there any unbelievers in your life? It's so easy for us in following and worshiping Jesus to forget that we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus to everyone. We need to serve everyone. And no, it's not with this hidden agenda to to hit them over the head and make them be Jesus followers. No, we love and serve them regardless of whether they choose to follow Jesus. But we hope, based on 1 Peter 3, that we get the opportunity to tell them about what Jesus has done for us and how he's changed our lives. And so, are there unbelievers in your life? Because in fairness for a number of believers, that I've known, they've taken the route of the religious leaders and they have separated themselves not from sin, but from other people who need the Lord. And that's an important message for us to remember here. But this really is amusing to me what Jesus goes on to say. So they're being critical of him and the disciples for eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, my friends, this proves that God has a sense of humor. This absolutely proves that Jesus could be incredibly funny, even though this is outrageously serious, because the last people who were healthy were the Pharisees. That is an incredibly ironic statement. 
They weren't healthy. They were sick because they were smug and they were self-righteous. And they had reduced the law, which had always been intended to guide people into right relationship with God. They had reduced it to a series of do's and don'ts and rules. And so they evaluated and judged and condemned people based on whether they followed the rules or not. And in part, we can understand why they would be so zealous, they'd be so impassioned in really wanting to live for and please God, but somehow that got twisted over time and the rules became more important than the relationship with God and with other people. And the regulations led to empty religion, which was the last thing God ever intended. Consistent through the Old Testament and New Testament, it's always about right relationship with God and right relationship with people. And the religious leaders of the time had gotten to the point where they had completely missed the point and lost the point. And so Jesus hits them with this passage out of Hosea chapter 6-6 in the Old Testament where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the religious leaders would have known this passage. And it's picked up in other places. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But it would have got their attention. And you hope that they pondered that and thought about that. Because what this is basically saying is that going through the motions, living your life based on a a list of do's and don'ts, that don't change your life, that don't impact and change and transform your relationships, apart from the Spirit of God moving through that, is empty religion. God doesn't want sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. He wants trust and obedience. And that's the message Jesus is giving to these religious leaders. So how about you? Are you changing? In following Jesus, are you becoming more like him? Not just with what you do or don't do, but with who you are? That's, that's a hard question. Because sometimes spiritual growth feels like one step forward and four steps back. But if we're choosing to follow Jesus, we will progressively become more like him as his Holy Spirit does his work in our hearts and lives as we choose to trust and obey him. Already, one week into this emotionally healthy spirituality, it is doing a number on me and my relationships, which is what I was expecting and hoping for, quite honestly, because I know there's areas in my life, in my relationships that need to change and that need the Spirit of God to work, to grow me and develop me and make me into who God wants me to be and it's hard work and I don't like the brokenness that I see but my friends the reality is you cannot be emotionally immature and be spiritually healthy that's part of the point of this passage you can be the most religious people or person rather in the world and if you are condemning, if you are critical, if you gossip, if you're negative, if you're unforgiving, if you're selfish, you're not healthy. You're still acting sick. And so the hope of the gospel is that there is a healing that is possible for all of us and a hope for all of us who believe 
that God, Jesus, is the good doctor. And he knows what we need. And as we trust and obey him, he will go to work on our hearts and make us into the people he wants us to be. And yes, it's a process and sometimes it feels like 10 steps backward and one step forward. And sometimes it's really difficult to see how you're changing, how your relationships are changing, how your relationship with God is changing. And that's why, my friends, we need each other. That's why we need community. That's why we're constantly encouraging you to get into small groups, especially in this season that we find ourselves in. But we want to allow the good doctor to continue to do his work as we come to the conclusion of our time in worship and in his word this morning. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that you're probably not used to doing. We don't usually end our time of worship and time in the word this way, but we're gonna do it anyway. And that is, we're gonna have some time between us and the Lord. So I realize that a number of you who are watching this, listening to this, you're in a group, that's okay. This is between you and the Lord. And there may be others of you in the future who are listening this at a future time. You know, you're watching or listening it and maybe you're driving or operating heavy equipment. Okay, don't close your eyes when we go to prayer here. You know, God hears your prayers when your eyes are open. But here's the deal. If it is possible, if you can, I'm gonna ask you to join me in closing your eyes just so that you can concentrate and listen to and respond to the Spirit of God. And we're gonna walk through each of these points and I'm gonna ask you a question. And as I ask you this question, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and just let God speak to you. And then you speak to Him, either in your mind or with words out loud. So please close your eyes and join me as we think about what we've talked about here this morning. So if it really is true that it's possible for anyone and everyone to choose to follow Jesus, who is the last person in your life who that would be? Okay, now that you picture them, will you pray for them? Will you pray that they would choose to follow Jesus? And if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you know that there is a cost to that. So how far are you willing to follow Jesus? Would you ask him to give you courage that whatever that line is and wherever it is, that if he asks you to, you will cross it in order to follow him? And we should celebrate the work of God in our lives. So what is one thing right now that you can thank God for in your life? And now let's think about our relationships together and separating from sin. What is some sin, some selfishness, some brokenness that you see that you need to separate yourself from? 
Would you name that? Would you now ask God to help you with that? Where do you need healing this morning? Where do you need hope? Where do you need help to believe? Would you ask for that? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is his work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning, for choosing to pursue God together this morning. And now as you go into the rest of your week and the rest of your day, would you choose to watch for his work? Would you choose to believe him and trust and obey him? Would you choose to live for him? So now go do that. Go and live for him. And thanks for being with us this morning. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.